the Bible, a collection of 66 different books by around 40 different authors from many different backgrounds. There were kings and shepherds, soldiers, fishermen, doctors, poets and farmers. Some were young, some old, some rich, and some poor. And they wrote, each reflecting his own personality and style. From a wide variety of life circumstances. All the way from palace thrones and bedrooms. To the dungeons down in the palace basement. From seashores to mountaintops. And to the backsides of dry desert wastelands. In their books, the writers issued hundreds of specific future prophecies, all perfectly fulfilled or awaiting fulfillment. And they discuss every aspect of human life, hundreds of complicated and controversial topics. And yet, there is a unity and consistency of message in the Bible, from start to finish, that is nothing short of miraculous. Throughout history and today, millions of people around the globe call this book the Holy Bible, the very Word of God. It claims to be a self-revelation of the Supreme Being, the Creator Himself, stepping out of eternity into time and space to tell us and show us what He is like and to let us know His plan for our lives here on earth and in the hereafter. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar is your chance to actually hear, discuss, and decide for yourself about this book, the Bible. Stay tuned, and at the very least, you'll hear the beauty, wisdom, romance, adventure, and intrigue of the world's greatest literature, the best-selling, most translated book of all history. But more importantly, God himself just might speak to your heart and change your life forever. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Sophie Dollar. Good evening, everyone. Well, it is time again to gather around the old book, and we will continue our way through the uh, first book of the old book, and that is the book of Genesis. We've gotten all the way to chapter 36. It does fly, the time does, as we make our way through this book. I forget from year to year how fascinating the book of Genesis is. It begins in a garden and ends in a coffin in Egypt. How do you get from this beautiful garden to a coffin down in Egypt? It starts with a man and his wife, Adam and Eve, and then Cain and Abel, and then to a man named Noah, and you get to a time of flood and judgment on the human race because of wickedness and sin. After chapter 7 and the flood, we go to the expansion again of the human race. Again, they don't spread out and multiply as they intended. They stay together and they march once again to a mob mentality of wickedness and sin and rebellion against God the Creator. Then God confuses the languages there in chapter 11. And from there we pick up with this man named Abram and his wife Sarai. Not remarkable people, really. It's not like the brightest and the best. There just seemed to be an individual who was willing to trust God, believe in God, walk with God. Wasn't perfect by any means. But God takes Abram and Sarai, and he decides through them to continue the work of revelation. Not only general revelation that all people have always had, the general revelation that God has given of himself through the sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, through the internal revelation that God has given within the heart of man. Remember, it says that God has made us and created us in his image, and he has placed eternity in our hearts. And so there is this self-awareness, longing for immortality, and then there's conscience. There's a right that we should applaud, that we should encourage, and there is a wrong that we should punish and discourage as much as we can in our children and in in our societies. And so we have that general revelation of nature, then consciousness, awareness, and then conscience. 
But then God begins this special revelation of himself through these individuals. He acts and speaks in time and space and causes to be recorded and to pass down, at first through oral tradition and finally committed to writing under Moses, who is the author of this book of Genesis. We believe that he wrote this during the time of the wanderings in the desert. So we've come down from Abraham now and Sarah to his son Isaac and his wife Rebekah and now their sons Jacob and Esau. And we are into the stories of these twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. I'll tell you a little bit more about it and what we're going to read about tonight as we begin our Bible Live reading. Let's go to the Psalms, though, for our Wisdom and Worship segment on the Psalm Bible Live. 11. I trust in the Lord for protection. So why do you say to me, fly to the mountains for safety? The wicked are stringing their bows and setting their arrows in the bowstrings. They shoot from the shadows at those who do right. The foundations of law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous do? But the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord still rules from heaven. He watches everything closely, examining everyone on earth. The Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. He hates everyone who loves violence. He rains down blazing coals on the wicked, punishing them with burning sulfur and scorching winds. For the Lord is righteous. And he loves justice. Those who do what is right will see his face. End of reading Psalm 11. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. We're back. Yes, we're back, and we are ready to continue now through the book of Genesis. After that beautiful read from Psalm 11, with its great reminder that God's rule provides stability in the midst of panic. And we're learning that a lot right now because in our society today, there's a great deal of angst, consternation, and wringing of hands about all things political, economic, military. There's a great deal of insecurity in the American world today, in our society. And I'm not the one to say it's not appropriate. There are a lot of things to be concerned about. But we as God's people can trust in God even as we face these problems. That beautiful psalm that David shares with us out of his experiences makes a lot of sense to me today. Now, it also made a lot of sense to these men that we watched them walk out their relationship with God. We've been following the story of Jacob, the manipulator. The heel grabber is what his name means. He was the first one who manipulated other people, and then he got manipulated himself. He got cheated. He got abused and taken advantage of. And then, finally, on his way back to meet his brother, God grabbed a hold of him. In this time of crisis and fear in his life, God took that moment and grabbed Jacob and changed his name to Israel, one who has fought with God and then he says, has won. So the name Israel, the one who struggles with God. In a way, it's symbolic of all of us as believers because we've all had to struggle with God. We've all had to deal with the issue of God and with the person of God and how we're going to relate to him. Very interesting symbol that Jacob is to all of us. 
as he goes on to this next phase of his life, we're going to meet a man named Joseph, remarkable individual. We'll meet him tonight, and we'll see how faithfully Joseph follows after God. He is the oldest son of Rachel. God uses Joseph in an amazing way to secure, protect, and to establish the nation, not just a plan, but as this clan gets converted into a real nation of people, we'll see the role of Joseph tonight on The Bible Life. Genesis 36.20 through 39.23. Genesis 36. These are the names of the tribes that descended from Seir the Horite, one of the families native to the land of Seir. Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anar, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishon. These were the Horite clans, the descendants of Seir, who lived in the land of Edom. The sons of Lotan were Hori and Heman. Lotan's sister was named Timna. The sons of Shobal were Alvan, Manahat, Ebal, Shephal, and Onan. The sons of Zibion were Ayah and Anan. This is the Anan who discovered the hot springs in the wilderness while he was grazing his father's donkey. The son of Anan was Dishon, and Oholibama was his daughter. The sons of Dishon were Hemdan, Eshban, Ithran, and Keran. The sons of Ezer were Bilham, Zahavan, and Akan. The sons of Dishon were Uz and Aran. So the leaders of the Horite clans were Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Ana, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishan. The Horite clans are named after their clan leaders who lived in the land of Seir. These are the kings who ruled in Edom before there were kings in Israel. Bela son of Beor, who ruled from his city of Dinhabah. When Bela died, Jobab son of Zerah from Bozrah became king. When Jobab died, Husham from the land of the Timonites became king. When Husham died, Hadad son of Bedad became king and ruled from the city of Avith. He was the one who destroyed the Midianite army in the land of Moab. When Hadad died, Samla from the city of Masrekah became king. When Samla died, Shaul from the city of Rehoboth on the Euphrates River became king. When Shaul died, Baal Hanan, son of Akbor, became king. When Baal Hanan died, Hadad became king and ruled from the city of Pau. Hadad's wife was Mehetabel, the daughter of Matred and granddaughter of Mezahab. These are the leaders of the clans of Esau who lived in the places named for them. Timna, Alva, Jetheth, Oholibama, Elah, Pinon, Kanas, Teman, Mibzar, Magdiel, and Iram. These are the names of the clans of Esau, the ancestor of the Edomites, each clan giving its name to the area it occupied. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 37. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived. This is the history of Jacob's family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks with his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day he gave Joseph a special gift, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because of their father's partiality. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream and promptly reported the details to his brothers, causing them to hate him even more. Listen to this dream, he announced. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. My bundle stood up, and then your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before it. So you are going to be our king, are you, his brothers taunted. And they hated him all the more for his dream and what he had said. Then Joseph had another dream and told his brothers about it. 
Listen to this dream, he said. The sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told his father as well as his brothers, and his father rebuked him. What do you mean, his father asked. Will your mother, your brothers, and I actually come and bow before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father gave it some thought and wondered what it all meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are over at Shechem with the flocks. I'm going to send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me word. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from his home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for? he asked. For my brothers and their flocks, Joseph replied. Have you seen them? Yes, the man told him, but they are no longer here. I heard your brothers say they were going to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance and made plans to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they exclaimed. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into a deep pit. We can tell our father that a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of all his dreams. But Reuben came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed his blood? Let's just throw him alive into this pit here. That way he will die without our having to touch him. Reuben was secretly planning to help Joseph escape, and then he would bring him back to his father. So when Joseph arrived, they pulled off his beautiful robe and threw him into the pit. This pit was normally used to store water, but it was empty at the time. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they noticed a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking spices, balm, and myrrh from Gilead to Egypt. Judah said to the others, What can we gain by killing our brother? That would just give us a guilty conscience. Let's sell Joseph to these Ishmaelite traders. Let's not be responsible for his death. After all, he is our brother. And his brothers agreed. So when the traders came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the Ishmaelite traders took him along to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the pit. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in anguish and frustration. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone! What can I do now? Then Joseph's brothers killed a goat and dipped the robe in its blood. They took the beautiful robe to their father and asked him to identify it. We found this in the field, they told him. It's Joseph's robe, isn't it? Their father recognized it at once. Yes, he said. It is my son's robe. A wild animal has attacked and eaten him. Surely Joseph has been torn in pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth. He mourned deeply for his son for many days. His family all tried to comfort him, but it was no use. I will die in mourning for my son, he would say, and then begin to weep. Meanwhile, in Egypt, the traders sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 38. About this time, Judah left home and moved to Adullam, where he visited a man named Hira. There he met a Canaanite woman, the daughter of Shua, and he married her. She became pregnant and had a son, and Judah named the boy Ur. Then Judah's wife had another son, and she named him Onan. And when they had a third son, she named him Shelah. 
At the time of Shelah's birth, they were living at Kazib. When his oldest son, Ur, grew up, Judah arranged his marriage to a young woman named Tamar. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Ur's brother, Onan, You must marry Tamar, as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. Her first son from you will be her brother's heir. But Onan was not willing to have a child who would not be his own heir. So whenever he had intercourse with Tamar, he spilled the semen on the ground to keep her from having a baby who would belong to his brother. But the Lord considered it a wicked thing for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother. So the Lord took Onan's life too. Then Judah told Tamar, his daughter-in-law, not to marry again at that time, but to return to her parents' home. She was to remain a widow until his youngest son, Shelah, was old enough to marry her. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Shelah would also die, like his two brothers. So Tamar went home to her parents. In the course of time, Judah's wife died. After the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend Hira the Adulamite went to Timna to supervise the shearing of his sheep. Someone told Tamar that her father-in-law had left for the sheep shearing at Timna. Tamar was aware that Shelah had grown up, but they had not called her to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. Then she sat beside the road at the entrance to the village of Enaim, which is on the way to Timna. Judah noticed her as he went by and thought she was a prostitute since her face was veiled. So he stopped and propositioned her to sleep with him, not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. How much will you pay me? Tamar asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, Judah promised. What pledge will you give me so I can be sure you will send it? She asked. Well, what do you want? He inquired. She replied, I want your identification seal, your cord, and the walking stick you are carrying. So Judah gave these items to her. She then let him sleep with her, and she became pregnant. Afterward, she went home, took off her veil, and put on her widow's clothing as usual. Judah asked his friend Hira the Adulamite to take the young goat back to her and to pick up the pledges he had given her. But Hira couldn't find her. So he asked the men who lived there, where can I find the prostitute who was sitting beside the road at the entrance to the village? We've never had a prostitute here, they replied. So Hira returned to Judah and told him that he couldn't find her anywhere, and that the men of the village had claimed they didn't have a prostitute there. Then let her keep the pledges, Judah exclaimed. We tried our best to send her the goat. We'd be the laughingstock of the village if we went back again. About three months later, word reached Judah that Tamar, his daughter-in-law, was pregnant as a result of prostitution. Bring her out and burn her, Judah shouted. But as they were taking her out to kill her, she sent this message to her father-in-law. The man who owns this identification seal and walking stick is the father of my child. Do you recognize them? Judah admitted that they were his and said, She is more in the right than I am, because I didn't keep my promise to let her marry my son Shelah. But Judah never slept with Tamar again. In due season, the time of Tamar's delivery arrived, and she had twin sons. As they were being born, one of them reached out his hand, and the midwife tied a scarlet thread around the wrist of the child who appeared first, saying, This one came out first. But then he drew back his hand, and the other baby was actually the first to be born. What? the midwife exclaimed. How did you break out first? And ever after, he was called Perez. Then the baby with the scarlet thread on his wrist was born, and he was named Zerah.
You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 39. Now when Joseph arrived in Egypt with the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, a member of the personal staff of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. The Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. So Joseph naturally became quite a favorite with him. Potiphar soon put Joseph in charge of his entire household and entrusted him with all his business dealings. From the day Joseph was put in charge, the Lord began to bless Potiphar for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs began to run smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't have a worry in the world except to decide what he wanted to eat. Now Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And about this time, Potiphar's wife began to desire him and invited him to sleep with her. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I ever do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on him day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he was doing his work inside the house. She came and grabbed him by his shirt, demanding, Sleep with me! Joseph tore himself away, but as he did, his shirt came off. She was left holding it as he ran from the house. When she saw that she had his shirt and that he had fled, she began screaming. Soon all the men around the place came running. My husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to insult us, she sobbed. He tried to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard my loud cries, he ran and left his shirt behind with me. She kept the shirt with her. And when her husband came home that night, she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've had around here tried to make a fool of me, she said. I was saved only by my screams. He ran out, leaving his shirt behind. After hearing his wife's story, Potiphar was furious. He took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. But the Lord was with Joseph there too, and he granted Joseph favor with the chief jailer. Before long, the jailer put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The chief jailer had no more worries after that because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him, making everything run smoothly and successfully. End of reading, Genesis 36, 20 through 39, 23. Listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. We're talking about Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, using them in their time and in their era to do a work of revelation in them and through them and with them to the other people groups around them. He used them as a witness for himself. And then, of course, because of that written record, using them as a witness even to our times as well. This special revelation that God has given of himself through his dealings with individual lives. 
But these are special in that these were recorded intentionally. A record was made of those dealings so that we would have them and that they would be a revelation to our lives as well. But God is using us as well to be a light to the world. Remember, we are to be light. We are to be salt so that they too could know about God and see him. So uh, what would you think tonight as you listen to the Bible live, as you listen to the passages coming out of your car radio or out of your home radio? Even the genealogies are interesting about Esau and, and the rulers of Edom. Remember, God did promise Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. Sooner or later, everybody is related somehow or other to Abraham as we see the expansion of his children and grandchildren, uncles, aunts, and nephews. Uh, it's, it's a remarkable thing. But then we get into the life of this individual named Joseph, a remarkable experience he has. And then stuck in the middle there in chapter 38, the story of Judah, this other son of Jacob. And we see his tremendous failing. Some people have conjectured they want to make a contrast between the relative innocence, purity, and consistency of Joseph, trusting God and walking with God, even in spite of all his many difficulties, and the impurity and the unworthiness of Reuben, who slept with Jacob's concubine, or with Judah here, whose children refused to carry out their responsibility to have children by Tamar. This son, Perez, actually ends up in the genealogies of Messiah himself, which is one of those saving graces of the scriptures, like Ruth or like the harlot there in Jericho. They end up in the genealogy of Messiah. Joseph is such an amazing individual in the sense that he's born to Jacob and his beloved wife, Rachel. He's a favorite, and this favoritism is a very bad thing in a family. I guess it shows us that one practical lesson for parents, don't show favoritism. But his father loved him more than the rest of them, very clearly, because he was born to him in his old age and to his beloved Rachel. And then his brothers hated him because of that same reason, but then they hated him all the more because of his dreams. And yet Joseph seems to be somewhat innocent. Now, some people say that he's arrogant, prideful, and bragging, but you know, he's really young. How can you not just love this book? <laughs> Maybe even apart from the divine revelation of the redemptive plan, and of course that just makes it all the more fascinating and astounding, what God has done to reveal himself and to reach out to humanity. And the plan of redemption is carried out in time and space. The Messiah has to come now through the lineage of Abraham. We'll watch how that lineage twists and turns and the enemy tries to knock it out and destroy it and cut it off, but it never will be done away with until that promise is totally and perfectly kept in the person of Jesus the Messiah. But even apart from that, these stories are so fascinating about these individuals and their lives and their relationships. Like I said many times before, the Bible explains human experience as we really are. See you next time. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Kindle House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to the Bible Live Post Office Box 18888. That's the Bible Live P.O. Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. 
start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.